But again, we're glad you're here. And uh, we have been, last week we began taking a look at the book of Esther. So if you've got a Bible and you want to take it out, you can turn to the book of Esther. And uh, we've been taking a look at uh, answering this question, where is, where's God? You know, there's times in our lives when we begin to live our lives that if we're honest with ourselves, we come to the place where one time or another we've looked up to the heavens and we've just asked ourselves, God, where are you? Are you really there? Do you really care? Are you, do you really care about my needs? Do you really care about what I'm going through? Do you really care about the struggles that I'm having? And usually we ask those questions of God and where is God when we go through difficult times? And I want to remind us this morning, maybe you've never heard this, but I want you to know that the God of the universe has never left. The God of the universe cares intimately about you And the God of the universe cares intimately for you. And a part of your life fits into the greater plan and purpose that God has for all creation. And last week we began looking at the book of Esther. And we saw last week how God begins to guide and direct all of the activities of creation. God is intricately caring and watching over everything that is going on in the world. For the Lord is carrying out his plans and he's carrying out his purpose And he's doing all of this for his own glory. And so as we began taking a look at the book of Esther, we see that uniquely in the scripture, God's revelation of himself to us, we see that Esther is a different book. And the fact that as we walk through and we read through this book, we don't see God's name mentioned. We don't visibly see the hand of God saying, and God did this or God did that. And you know, sometimes in life, it's hard for us to see the hand of God. And so that's why we're walking through the book of Esther, so that we can learn how we can identify the hand of God when it doesn't seem like it's really there. And I hope that through this series that we'll be able to see that the hand of God is at work even when we can't see it, and that we'll be able to place our hope and trust in God, for he cares for us. And last week we looked very specifically at God and we, we saw that God is in and over and above all powers of all nations. That God is the one that allows his nations to rise and to fall. That God is intricately working in the powers of nations. We saw last week as there was this Persian king and the power play between he and God. Even though we don't see God being mentioned, we see wisdom of man coming up against the wisdom of God. And so this week we're going to jump into the second chapter of the book of Esther. And we're going to continue to look and hopefully see today that God is in and over all life, death, and even over family. So let's look in Esther chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. After these things... When the anger of King Ahasuerus had been abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women." Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, 
is the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away during Jeconi, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. So when the king's orders and edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put into the custody of Haggai. He had charge over all the women. And the young woman who... And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young woman to the best place in the harem. Esther Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulation for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman went to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shehagaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Ahabal, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except for what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants, It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father, we thank you that we can see from this passage your hand at work. Father, though I I can only imagine that Esther and Mordecai must have been asking the questions over at times, where are you? Father, it's easy for us, thousands of years later, to look in and see that you are actively involved in every aspect of this biblical account. Father, help us to learn how you um, care for us and how you provide for us and how you lead us so that we may be people that, that follow you and trust you with our whole hearts. Father, I'm aware today that there are people that have come into this place that are broken, people today that are hurting. And Father, I pray that your word of truth would speak over them, a word of encouragement. Father, there are some here today also that are honestly seeking you with their whole lives, and I pray today that your word would bring direction to them. 
Father, there are also some here today that are living in rebellion against you. And Father, I pray that your word would be a word of correction to them. But today, Father, speak and allow us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today as we jump into the second chapter of Esther, we see two uh, more um, characters being brought into this biblical account. We see um, Esther and we see Mordecai coming in to the scene. But as we pick up this passage, we see that it's a beginning, a carryover from last week. We see again this collision of worldviews. We see King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, who is leader of this, this Persian nation. He is still continuing to rule and reign in his country, and he develops this plan. And he is developing this plan through the use of his, um, those that are giving him counsel and his advisors. And we see that this plan that he develops is a plan that's going to use and abuse women for his own pleasure. So we see that it is his sole kingdom is based on his own needs and his own desires. And in the process, he's going to use and abuse other people to get what he desires and what he wants. So in the world standards, if we step back and look at King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, we can see that he is a bad king. He's not a king that cares for the people necessarily. He's not a king that is out to help other people. He's a king that is for himself and about himself. And so we see again this collision of worldviews. We see this earthly king coming in contact with this godly king. And we're going to see that this godly king who is going to work through all of this mess and all of this muck and all of this mire. And he's going to show that he is a good king. That he is the good king. Because he is going to bring about his good plans through this challenging circumstance. So we see at the end of chapter 1 that King Xerxes has made a decree that banished Vashti. Vashti was his former queen that had refused to come when he summons her. And so she had refused to obey him. And so he, feeling like it was this jockeying for power, banishes her. And we see as we pick up this passage that he begins to regret his decision. But he also, because he's not a real king, he's not the real king. He can't go back on his word because he's made a decree. And if he goes back on his decree, he's no longer a king. And so we see he has to continue with this. So he calls his advisors, his young guys, and he gets his boys around him. He's like, guys, what should I do? Like, I liked Vashti, and now I've got to find another queen. And so they come up with this great idea. And sometimes when we see the Esther story, sometimes we take this biblical account and we kind of dramatize it. and We make it seem like it's a Cinderella story. Like, you remember Cinderella? Like, we have this, this girl who, whose uh, father uh, dies, and now she's living with her stepmom and stepsisters, and she's, she's abused, and she's just not really cared for. But then there's this king. There's this good king who has a son who wants to get his son married. And so what do they do? They have this royal ball, and they invite all of the young ladies of the kingdom to come and, and get all dressed up and beautiful and come and parade themselves before the king. And they have total rights and freedoms to either choose the king or not. They have the right to choose to come to this ball or not. And we see that it's this beautiful picture of, of everything happening and everyone lives happily after. Every, uh, everyone lives happily ever after at the end. And maybe you've, you've come to this passage before and that's kind of what you have in your mind as you come to this passage. But I want you to see that this is not a Cinderella story. 
This is not a story that's focused in on true love. This is a story about a man who's seeking to fulfill his evil desires. And what he does is not nice and beautiful. It's wicked. For what he does is he goes off and he takes these girls. Okay, so this is a very, very dark story. It's more like the story of, um, what's that movie that's just come out? I totally drew a blank here. No, no, Lord of the Rings, that's always a good sermon illustration, but not at this, not at this time. Well, we'll move on. It'll come to me. So it's a very wicked, dark thing for these, these girls. Once the king made a decree, these girls were summoned, and they were taken from their homes. They were taken from their families, and they were taken to be slaves, basically, of the king. And so they had the opportunity to, to leave their homes, and they were forced from their families. They lost all of their freedoms. And for the next year, they had to take time and make themselves beautiful. Not for themselves, not the beauty that was inward, but the beauty that was outward, so that they could somehow please this man. And then when the time came, they were paraded in front of this man. And so they had to go and be with this man. And then... They lost all of their hope. They lost all of their self-identity for it was all wrapped up in this man. And then if he liked them, they got to come back. But if not, guess what? They became a concubine. And that meant that they had to live the rest of their life in utter distraction or utter um, brokenness, utter um, cast away from everyone else. So they no longer had the rights of their life, but they were given over to be a concubine for this king. can only imagine these young ladies as they're walking through this asking themselves this question where is god god where are you why are you not coming to my defense why is it that you're allowing me to be this product or this object and not a person but i want us to see beauty of our great God. For God was going to use the self-centeredness of Xerxes to carry out his plans. He was in the process of redeeming his people. He was in the process of taking his people from this place of captivity, and he was going to set them free once again. And so God is using the wickedness of this king to bring about his wonderful, beautiful plan of redemption. Now that is the beauty of our great God. Our great God is the one that makes beauty from ashes. Our great God is the one that makes the dead come back to life. This is the God that we believe in. And so what we see then after these first four verses of chapter 2, we see God is in the business of being a queen maker. A beautiful queen maker. And this is the beauty of, of the way God works. Is all the people that God calls as his children. They all play a part in carrying out his plan of redemption. Every person that he calls child, everyone that looks to God and that cries out, Abba, Father, he has a unique and distinct purpose and plan for them to fill in and to live out in the part of his greater plan of redemption. God cares intimately for each one of his children. And we see as God is preparing through verses 5 and 18 to make this queen, we see something that's also very challenging. 
as we come and we see God making this queen, we see that God's plans for his children are not the plans that his children would choose for themselves. Like if you think about it, the the children, we, God's children, if we had an opportunity to choose for ourselves, if we were able to lay out the framework or the path of our lives, we would not choose the path that God has chosen for us. And we're going to see this as we walk through the life of Esther. For God is in the process of not only he was the one that made her, but he's also the one that is making her. So God made Esther. You know what's amazing to me? is that of all of the power that we have in this world, we have no power over where we were born. We have no power over when we were born. We have no power over whom we were born to. We have no power over what we will look like. Like, we can't have some power over that. But in reality, you can't, like, make yourself completely, absolutely different. That is all up to God. And we can look to see in the life of Esther that that was all up to God as well. And we can look to other places in Scripture like Jeremiah 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, where we see God talking about Jeremiah. And he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So God had a very specific plan and purpose for Jeremiah. And it began way before the womb. As God was knitting his life together and and fashioning it together to fit in a part of his plan, he was known. We see in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16, David's talking about how God knew him as well. He says, For you formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were, that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So we see that Esther in her life was also in a very much the same way fashioned and shaped before she was made. That God was intricately involved in that. And one of the things we see carried out through this passage is is God made her beautiful. He gave her the ability to just be beautiful. In herself and in her outwardness, God made her to be a beautiful person. She was uniquely made. Her beauty was not an accident. Her beauty was not given for her own benefit, but her beauty was given so that she could fulfill the plans that God had for her. And what's amazing to me is is so many times in this world we think that beautiful people are free from pain. Like, don't we think that sometimes? Like, we think, we look at movie stars and we look at all these other people and we say, well, they're beautiful. They must have everything together. But the reality is beauty comes from the Lord. Beauty is from the Lord, but we also see that beauty does not free us from pain. It doesn't protect us from the pains of life. And we see that in Esther's life. For God was in the process, not only did he make, make her, he was in the process of making her. You know, if we had the opportunity to choose the life for ourselves, if we were able to lay the roadmap out, we probably wouldn't choose to live lives that were full of death. Like we wouldn't choose to live a life that was full of slavery. Like we wouldn't choose to live a life where we're constantly losing. 
Like we wouldn't choose to live a life where we're constantly coming to the end of ourselves. We would choose a life where we're free from pain. We would choose a life where we're full of riches. We, we would choose a life that's free from challenges. We would choose a life where our family is all around us, right? We would choose those things. We would choose the easy path and not the difficult path. See, that's where God knows better than us. For in the process of making us, God has to strip away who we are so that we can be the vessel that he wants us to be to accomplish his purpose and his plans. For God's plans are different. And God was using all of Esther's experiences to mold and shape her into the person that he could use. As we see here at the very beginning of this passage, we see one of the things that were unique about Esther's life is at a young age, she lost her family. Her parents died. She didn't have her parents. And I don't know if you've lost your parents or you've gone through the the loss of losing someone that is supposed to be the provider for you, that's supposed to be the carer for you. That's a very challenging time. When you look around and you're like, I don't know who's going to feed me. I don't know who's going to take care of me. I don't know who's going to provide for me. Those are very challenging questions. And so many times when that takes place, you ask yourself the question, well, God, where are you? If you're supposed to be this loving God of the universe, then how can you allow my family to die? Well, maybe sometimes death is about the person that is left behind so they can continue to be molded and shaped and place their trust in God, not into their family. But we also see that in those loss, as as her parents died, she was an orphan and experienced a deep pain and loss from that. We see that God provided. And this is the reality. That when God allows things to be removed or God begins to strip things away, he always places something back there. God never, as he's breaking you down to be a usable being, never does he just break you down and leave you there broken. Instead, God always provides and he brings back. And that's what we see here. It may not be the definition of the world that we want, but God provided for her loss and allowing her to be adopted by her cousin. God provided. Now I have to imagine at both times that growing up, neither Esther nor Mordecai, if they had a chance to choose, would choose the path, this path right here. They probably wouldn't choose that. I can imagine in, in Mordecai's mind as he realizes now he's going to have to take care of his, his uh, cousin, he's like, well... That's what hadn't what I was planning, but okay, it's part of what I will do. And what we can see through Mordecai is that God changed Mordecai's heart so much that he treated her as though she was his own daughter. So God was able to give Mordecai a heart for Esther, the heart of a parent. What Esther needed, God gave. And what Mordecai needed, God gave. And so finally, she's living in this new family. And the challenges are they are living in captivity already, but she embraces this new family. God provides. Things go smoothly. And then all of a sudden, this decree comes. Esther finds herself taken from her family again. Esther finds herself, this this life that she was living, totally flipped upside down all over again, where she's entering in a place where there may not be any hope for her at all. Like she could be, stand before the king, go through this year of beautification, stand before the king, he's like, ah, don't like you, and she'll never be heard of again. 
Reminds me of James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my dear brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We don't, when we follow the Lord, and and hear this, when we follow the Lord, we don't even get to choose our vocation. We don't get to choose that. When we're seriously following the Lord, we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you have for me? And we open ourselves up as though we lay ourselves down on that altar and say, Lord, here's my life. Use it, do it, whatever you're going to do. So we don't even get to choose our vocation. God chooses it for us, and then we have to walk in obedience to that path that he gives us. And so I'm sure when Esther was a child, she wasn't thinking as she was growing up, man, I can't wait to be a part of a harem. I can't wait to be a concubine. If I could just grow up and be a concubine, I will be the champion of the world. That's probably not the plans that she had for her own life, but it's the plan God had for her. And we see that God allowed her to raise to the position of being a queen. God showed favor to her. And this whole time, as she's walking through this life, she's learning over and over and over again. Even though we don't see God's visibly speaking to her, God saying, this is what I'm doing. She doesn't see any of this. We see in just her attitude in her heart that over and over and over again, she continually learned how to submit herself fully to the hand of God. We see this. You, you, ha- you can't not pass over this as you're looking at this passage she continually continually submitted herself to the hand of god so when the tests came she had great wisdom for look at this i mean i love this This is beautiful so she knows she's getting ready to go to stand before the king okay and she's able to take anything from the harem that she wants to take with her so she gets to choose what she takes but look at the wisdom that she shows she goes to the king's eunuch and she says what should i take What should I take with me as I present myself before the king? Now, there's so much wisdom in that because who knows the king best? The eunuch. And this eunuch had been there and he'd watched how all these other ladies had adorned themselves and how they had gone before the king and what he liked and what he didn't like. So this eunuch knew exactly what the taste of his king was. And so he said, here, dress yourself in this way. And so not only did she have the physical appearance, she also had the hand of God on her so that when she stood before this king, God made Esther queen. And this queen was the queen that Xerxes desired, but it was also the queen that Xerxes needed. And you know, the challenges that we live in, sometimes um, there's pain in our own lives. Sometimes I know that that we have walked through life, I'm sure you have walked through life, and there have been challenges and things that you've faced, and you've questioned the goodness of God. Like, God, where are you in the midst of death? God, where are you when it seems like you've taken people from my life that have been so important to me? God, where are you in the midst of that? Why? Why? And we ask all these questions. We want to know God's hand. We want to see his plan. We want to understand his mind, but we cannot always understand his mind. 
And in the midst, midst of walking through it, it is hard to see. But in time, God's hand will be revealed. We may never know why, but if we will sit back and patiently wait through time, we will see what the Lord has been doing. And he's usually been doing stuff in us. When we face challenges in life, when you face challenges in life, come back to the place where you place yourself in the hands of God and then receive what he has for you. For the Lord is in continual process of molding us for his purpose and for his glory. Seek not to resist what the Lord is doing in you and around you, but seek to trust and continue to walk in him. That's the only choice we really have. The choice that we live is we have an opportunity to choose how we respond to what the Lord does. We can walk or we can run away. And the more we run away, guess what the loving God does? As we, as we choose to walk, he will be with us. He will give us what we need. But if we choose to run, guess what the Lord will do? He'll continue to pursue and he'll continue to, to encourage, and he'll continue to draw us back, and he'll continue over and over and over again to make us and to bring us to the place where he wants us to be. Now, I am one that am very intimately acquainted with the challenges and the pain of life. And there have been times in my life where I have just sought out to the God and God and said, God, where are you in the midst of this? For when I was young, uh, I was 15 years old. Uh, my mother passed away. Uh, we knew she had, uh, she, had, um, she had leukemia, and we knew that she, her, her time was short, but we didn't know exactly when she would pass away. And she lived longer than the doctor said that she would. So every day was a gift. But I knew at some point my mom was going to be taken from my life and my family. And the day that she passed, I went to the Lord, and I was like, God, why? Why my mom? You know, there are like evil people in the world. There are a lot of evil people in the world. My mom's not evil. Like, she loves me. She cares for me. She actually adopted me. Like, and my brothers and sisters, we were all adopted. And so my mom was a great woman that cared for people. Why would you take her out at such a young age? And why am I now here without a mom? Like, who's going to care for me? Who's going to be there, like, on my wedding day, who's going to be able to look at me and, and just have this face of pride? Where, where are you, God, in the midst of all of this? And I'll never forget, like, that night after I went home and was weeping on my pillow, it was almost as though the Lord just came beside me with just overwhelming peace. And he just basically, I could just feel him feel holding me. And all I could really do, I didn't have God there in, in my bed with me, but all I had was my pillow. And so I cling to my pillow, and I said, God, I'm going to cling to you just like this pillow. I don't understand. I don't know why. I just know I need you. So be with me through this process. And you know what the Lord did? He was with me. And I am who I am today because of a result of that. God knew that I needed to, to walk through that so that I, as I matured and I grew, would not just cling to my mom for all answers and all hope, but that I would cling to him for answers and for hope. So today, in your life, wherever you're at, I want to just encourage you. When the challenges of, of life bring, come across your path, cling to God. Don't run from him. 
but cling to him. And it may not all make sense, but he will make your path straight. I love, and as the next couple weeks come, as we see an opportunity to see what God does to the life of Esther, know that God is doing the same thing in you as well. He is working out his plans in your life. He has a purpose for you. If we would but let go of our own lives and trust him with ourselves. So today, if you're here and you're struggling and you just need some prayer in just a moment, we're gonna sing. I'm gonna be in the back. And if you just need someone to pray for you, if you're going through one of those challenges where like, I don't see God in my life, then come take me by the hand and say, pastor, just pray for me. And I would love to just pray for you. Or maybe you're here and, and you're like, I know I've been living my life totally apart from, from God. And, and, and Terry's been talking about Jesus and how Jesus has come to provide forgiveness. And I don't really understand that, but I know that God is speaking to me today that something has to change in my life. If you want to know more about this life with God in this forgiven life, then talk to the person you came with or talk to me or grab someone today and just say, tell me more about Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you are on that path and you just need a word of encouragement. Allow allow this word to be that word of encouragement. Or maybe you're here today and you realize and you're like singing praises because you're like, God, I see in Esther you are there and I know in my own life you are here. And so all I can do is praise you. In the next few minutes, allow our time of closing song to be that time where you just praise the Lord.